My name is Anna Robertson and I'm the co-founder of Yevu Clothing. I'm Felicia Asachua, co-owner of Yevu Foundation and production manager. We're the majority group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Katero. And I'm Frankie Aquasim. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. You might have seen this brand before, even if you haven't heard of them. Yevu is a socially responsible label made in Ghana, and the fits are vibrant and iconic. Whether in person, on our feeds, or on Abbott Elementary, the prints fit right in while they stand out. Today, we have the absolute joy and honor of not one, but two guests. Anna Robertson, founder of Yevu Clothing and co-founder of the Yevu Foundation, and Felicia Philly. Adwubi, co-founder of the Yavu Foundation and head of production at Yavu Clothing. Anna and Philly share how they harmonize as co-owners across a brand and a foundation, the significance of wax print, and how women who are part of Yavu are financially and professionally empowered. Now we know the magic is not only in the prints, so see them for yourself. Text Yavu Clothing, that's Y-E-V-U, C-L-O-T-H-I-N-G to us at the number 833-495-4773 for visuals. Okay, let's get into it. Hi. Hi, Lola. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Anna. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> good thanks. Yeah, early year in Australia, but, but doing good. Thank you. As co-founder of Yabu, what does your role look like? As co-founder of Yavu, I was one of the founding members about 10 years ago. These days, my role is really about running the Australian arm of the business, which is where a lot of our commercial, more commercial activities take place. So that involves running our content team and running our financial side of things to make sure that we're, we're able to sort of cover our costs for the next few months. My day-to-day involves working really closely with our team in Ghana, our management team in Ghana, mostly over WhatsApp to make sure that our production is on target and that um, our shipment is on target and just to sort of day-to-day stuff, chat through any issues that have come up. Recently, Ghana is going through a really high period of inflation. So there's been a lot of conversation about how we can sort of mitigate those issues for our team. We're in constant communication and my role gets busier when we have products come in, when we launch new campaigns generally speaking, and the team in Ghana sort of work mainly to our production cycle. So yeah, it involves a little bit of everything, to be honest. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. That is a lot to take on and handle. And that's only one piece of the business and the brand. And so you have a whole other arm in Ghana and Philly, your co-owner is responsible for that. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about how you two met and how this came to be. Thanks, Lola. Yeah, it is only one piece of the puzzle. And Felicia, who is the head of production in Ghana and manages our entire team there, and is also the co-founder of the Yebush Foundation, she is a hugely essential part of of Yebush's success and, and sort of how we came to be. We met 10 years ago in Accra 
I was working in Ghana initially as a sort of an Australian, it's called an Australian Youth Ambassador for Development. So you basically get seconded to organizations in Ghana and it's a bit of a skill and cultural exchange. I'm not sure how effective it is, but hey, it was fun. So I was working there and I met Felicia because she was working as an apprentice seamstress in a sort of roadside tailoring shop right near where I worked. And I sort of got to know there was a few women who work and manage that space and I got to know them. And part of that sort of time, I realized that there was a really big workshop sort of sitting right behind where their front of shop was, where they had some sort of, you know, wax printed dresses and and jackets and sort of garments to showcase their work. They were actually working from quite a large workspace that was in a really, you know, central great part of town. And I knew that this property was quite hard to come by. I also sort of realized that it was really underutilized. And after spending that first year in Ghana, I sort of building those relationships and getting to know those women quite well. And a lot of that was through getting a lot of my own clothes made and experimenting a little bit there while I had the time and the interest to do it. You know, it became really clear that the women that were working there were wanting more employment, more work, and that they were sort of quite underemployed and living off a very small and precarious income that was generated mainly through the local catchment, local community that they were able to sell to. And yet their skill set was quite good and quite high and they had a handful of machines there. So that's how Felicia and I met. Four of those women, I might say, are still working for us 10 years later. And Felicia's obviously grown to sort of in her skill set and her desire to lead the team. And so that's what she's doing. So it's been quite a remarkable journey for her. And I've loved being a part of it. She has four children of her own. And she recently went back to university to study at nighttime to sort of finish her fashion degree, even though she's obviously an incredible manufacturer, incredible at running a team of seamstresses and tailors herself, but, you know, wanted to do better and do more. So that's sort of how my relationship with Felicia developed. And yeah, as I said, she's now in charge of running our team of 30 full-time staff. She manages all of the, I guess, orders that Yavu Clothing, the Australian arm of the business, puts through to Yavu Foundation. Right now, we're their primary and only client. I sort of try to treat the business as two separate entities so that we can eventually iterate on the business model and evolve that. I could just hear the admiration in your voice as you were talking about, Billy, and your partnership. So for those of us that maybe want to start a business one day, want to have this co-owner kind of set up or co-founder set up, what's like both of your secret sauce or what are some things that you've learned along the way that kind of makes that co-ownership work? Yeah, it's a really good question. For me, it was very much about establishing a, a relationship over a long period of time. I've spent maybe 50% of the last 10 years living in a crowd myself. So, you know, it's not kind of like, hey, how's it going? Want to start this business? Let's do it. And we're running 10 years later. It's been a very hands-on relationship for both of us that builds a foundation of trust and respect, mutual respect. And that's been probably the most important part of the relationship. This is a big part of my life. And this is a huge part of Felicia's life as well. I mean, it's such a big deal. One thing that is quite distinct about your brand is you have a foundation and a brand separately. And it seems to be you just kind of rewriting the rules based on what works for you and the brand and what makes sense. But it's also uncommon. And I think we would love to learn more about it and why you created this social enterprise that has the foundation versus the brand versus a regular old B Corp or for-profit fashion company. 
Yeah, thanks for a lot. I did definitely choose to set the business up in a particular way that was probably uncommon. My sort of mentality was, well, just because it's not done much doesn't mean it's not a good idea. (laughs) That's probably been my (laughs) approach to life, I think. So again, it was hard, especially in the early days to know where the business was going to go and sort of if we were still going to be standing in 10 years and those sorts of things. But I think that it probably has worked out for the best. So we set up two separate legal entities, one in Australia, which is Yebu Clothing Proprietary Limited, which is a regular company. I am the director of that company and I'm actually the sole employee of that company as well. As I said, we have a bunch of different partners that we work with here, but that's all sort of like a bit of an engine of the business, but there's only me at the helm here. I mean, hey, you're always employee of the month, so it works out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm always patting myself on the back. Great job, Anna. And then our Ghanaian arm is set up as a not-for-profit in Ghana. It's called the Yebu Foundation. I guess I think of Yebu umbrella up here and then the Yebu clothing and Yebu Foundation sitting underneath it. So the Yebu Foundation is owned by both Felicia and I. Eventually and probably very, very soon, I will no longer need to be one hand of that business. The reason why I said love the way I did was because I wanted the business to exist as essentially like a hybrid social enterprise. So I wanted the commercial activity of the Australian arm to be able to entirely fund the activities of the Every Foundation, whether that's through wages or through more social impact projects. Over the years, we've done some period, period poverty work in Ghana. Obviously, that's through procuring all of the materials that are needed funding the workshop, utilities, machinery, all those sorts of things. And I thought it was a a good clean line to draw because I think that there's, we are a for-profit social enterprise, but there's no need for the Australian arm to draw a profit, essentially. Like we need to fund our activities here, which definitely do get more expensive the more and more content and Facebook advertising we have to do. But I really wanted there to be a clear line between the redistribution of those funds back into the Ghanaian arm of the business, which is what we do weekly, monthly. And they exist in our Ghanaian bank account, which is obviously attached to our business, which our management team have full ownership and access to and over. We just keep a balance of accounts, obviously, to see on both sides what money's been spent where so that we can keep track of it. But I think from a sort of like a social impact sort of perspective of why I set up the business that way, it was essentially so that we could work autonomously. There's been a lot of different conversations around what that autonomy looks like. Is that a cooperative in Ghana? Does that mean that Yabu Clothing sort of winds down what it's doing? The answer that we're moving towards at the moment, and I've only just sort of come to the decision with the team in the last couple of weeks, is that we really want Yabu Foundation to operate as its own manufacturing arm. And to be able to open its doors to other businesses that want to produce clothing, uniforms, apparel, anything in Ghana ethically. And so having spent the last sort of 10 years, not only setting up that legal foundation so that that can happen properly, but also having ownership over the Ghanaian arm that's separate to me and separate to Australia is really essential in, I guess, having the team empowered and at a high enough capacity so that they can do that. The team in Ghana have a higher capacity than what we can provide work for at the moment. That balance has been shifting slowly over the last year. And so that's the position that I was waiting for, for this now next stage to kick off. And it's really exciting. The team of really Felicia and 
and our, our management team, George and Alberta, are really, really excited about this next phase. So they're now starting to look at, okay, where and how we're going to get these other revenue streams coming in. And I'm obviously a very big part of putting that strategy and that plan together. But by July next year, Yevry Clothing will be but one client of the Yevry Foundation, hopefully. So what you're saying is <laughs> that if people are interested, they should contact the Yevu Foundation. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a sales pitch, but I suppose it's turned into one. Yes, if anyone wants to produce a gun, and I actually put a social media post out about this only yesterday. So this is very, very new. Last time I spoke to you guys, I don't think this had been sort of like established yet. And definitely we are available and open to very high quality ethical manufacturing for any of your needs if you're looking at producing in the region, which you should because it's a fantastic place to work. And one thing I obviously didn't mention earlier is that there is a really great textile industry and marketplace there. So that also is helpful. I will find a reason to need that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got my number. Yes, thankfully. I'll put you in touch with the right people. (laughs) You're right. Thanks for bringing up actually that we caught up a few weeks ago because it is talking about this autonomy and this phase of empowerment you're in is exciting. Congratulations. And I think it's especially exciting having known about your mission. So when you first started, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but Yavu was working to economically empower women from Ghana's informal sector. And so let's spend some time on that because I think it's important for people to know where you started in order to get to this phase of empowerment that you're talking about, just so we can really understand how special it is, specifically to how your mission has influenced like both people who work for Yavu, and you mentioned those four seamstresses that are still with you, all the way to how that mission influences how you reach your customers. So like how you manufacture as well as market. It became clear to me through sort of a lot of these conversations and getting to know women in this space, women in the marketplace, some of the women that were making my clothes at the time, that many of these women have been working in the informal economy, which makes up about 80% of all economic activity in Ghana. And very generally speaking, that is similar to other developing economies around the world. Most economic activity occurs in the informal marketplace, which is, you know, where your day-to-day goods are bought, mostly your fruit and vegetables, you get your hair cut, you get your clothes washed, you get your clothes made, you're buying light bulbs, all that kind of stuff. That is all essentially occurring in the informal market space. And if you're entrepreneurial and you're innovative, that can be a good and lucrative place to be and working. But for many, and especially women who work in that sector, it is a very precarious and dangerous, at times dangerous and unsafe place to be working. About 70% of the informal sector is made up of women. So, you know, you've got the majority who are more vulnerable to underemployment, earning on or below the poverty line, unsafe working conditions, long working hours, and a moving place of work. You know, there's this kind of idea of this unfixed place of work. And that can be especially difficult, obviously, for women with children. And so many of these women have children. So many of them are single mothers. And so I suppose when you look at that, sort of the characteristics of that space, you think like, that must be a really hard place to be and a very difficult place to extract yourself from or formalize. I use that sort of in inverted commas, formalize your way out of. And it is quite a cycle. Obviously, we know there's plenty of research about the cycle of poverty and especially girls who are daughters of women who are in a cycle of poverty. It's very, very hard for them to stay at school and it's very, very hard for that cycle of poverty to be broken. 
And so that was a really big part of why Yabu came to be. That was a really big part of why we wanted to focus on women and we wanted to bring these women in. Fashion is a hard business to scale. So we're not sort of providing employment to thousands and thousands of people. I wish we could, but we are providing full-time employment to 30 people and about 85% of those people are women at the moment. And the majority of those women are single mothers. And so if we could grow that scale, I would love that because I know that providing women with the skill set and the sort of capacity to be fantastic at their jobs and to then be able to earn a really good wage with social security and health insurance and a safe place to consistent, safe place to work that can be game changing for them and their families. One thing also that I didn't mention is that women also systematically are excluded from accessing capital um, and even bank accounts. I did work for a financial institution in Ghana um, to sort of help them set up a prototype for an accessible digital banking product a couple of years ago. And I learned a lot about how women are actually excluded from even just setting up a bank account. They're considered high risk. And that's just part of your know your customer KYC requirements of these banks. And that's just one small facet of the perpetual financial exclusion that women do face, especially those in the informal sector. I mean, if you can't get a bank account, where are you saving your money under your mattress? You can't essentially create your own financial footprint and eventually look at applying for loans or credit to grow your business. In the last couple of years, we've done work with the bank that we work with there, um, Echo Bank, to make sure that obviously everyone that works for us has access to a bank account as well, which is a really small thing, but it was actually really important. Yeah. And that has ripples, right? I mean, hearing about the ways in which you've been able to kind of through this, like counter all the different, some different ways that these individuals are economically repressed, but also we know that you work with vendors and some of those vendors are led by women too. So there might not be part of Yavu, but the ripples of the work that you're doing can still kind of touch other women owned entities, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, you're right. Most of the vendors that we source from are women owned and operated. And we did do some interviews with them not that long ago, just to sort of find out a little bit more about them and about, I guess, how they've found, because our procurement team are going out to them sort of every week and buying from them. So it was really great to see that they really appreciate the work that Yevu can also provide them with, because, you know, they also face issues around credit, you know, operating on a credit system where, and that's fairly common in these marketplaces as well, is that people might pay 30% upfront and then they'll owe the rest of the money. And sometimes that money does not get paid, which is what a lot of the women were saying. And so, you know, we obviously pay 100% upfront and we take the print with us. Like, you know, it's a pretty decisive fast transaction. I think that women who are in those informal marketplaces who have a lot of stock on hand and really need to make that money back appreciate that work from us. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it does bring a lot of clarity into the distinction why the Yevu Foundation exists because it does enable the team to scale and continue and flourish even beyond what the brand customer base is. So crystal clear. Pausing on your customer base for a minute. I mean, the brand is so visual. I feel like I discover that at one in three friends of mine has a piece because I scroll through Instagram and I'm like, oh, they own this. And it's so visual that it's like very obviously comes from the brand or is a piece from you. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about like who is the Yavu customer and where are they? You're right, Lola. Like I can see a Yavu piece from a mile away. Well, even if it's one of our original like pieces from nine years ago or something, 
But right now our customer base is in Australia and that's just because that's where the brand has evolved. Before we even had an online store, we ran many pop-up and retail events in Sydney and Melbourne. And even actually we did do one in London when I was feeling particularly energetic. So the recognition of the brand sort of began here. We started building that customer base here in the first few years of the business. So we've got about, I would say 70% of our customer base is here. And you know, like I love seeing who is buying Yavu. We have a real mix of ages from 18 to 55. Like if you look at our demographic, it really is quite wide. Predominantly, it is people who identify as women who are buying our clothing and they are based in sort of all over the country and in all different types of work. Many creatives, many lawyers, many accountants who like to dress themselves up a little bit more excitingly on the weekend. I'd love to see you in the courtroom. (laughs) I want to see that prawn dress in the courtroom. I've seen everyone TV worn by an ABC presenter standing outside Parliament. Oh, we all have seen everyone TV. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, also costume, uh, I guess, stylists and costume designers and people who are working in film and musicians, obviously, we appeal to them because they want something they can wear and stand out in. And, and you know, it's always exciting to see everyone. Okay, since you brought it up, can we talk about Abbott Elementary and how that all went down? Yes, that was incredible. And also, we had no idea who was buying. We didn't know that it was the buyer, the stylist from Abbott Elementary who was buying the clothes. Like she just went online and made a purchase and we sent it to her and it ended up on TV. So we didn't even know until someone sent us the screenshot of it on Abbott Elementary. Like it was really wild. (laughs) That's amazing. I feel like we all immediately were like, oh my gosh, (laughs) there's only one place that could have been from. I know. It was crazy. And so, and we got a lot of sales through that. It was really amazing. It was really cool to see that on TV and it was a real buzz for the brand and for the team in Ghana as well. We, It was really cool. And then, you know, that's sort of the larger demographic of customer that we have. And then obviously we have got a really big growing base in the US, which is really, really exciting. And we're sort of putting out quite a bit of energy this year into the US, especially considering that, you know, you guys have summer when we have winter and vice versa. So as a brand, that's probably much more summer leaning. It's really nice to be able to play into the Northern Hemisphere summer a little bit and bring a little yavu to everyone's lives. We like it. Play in this Northern Hemisphere. We're here. (laughs) Oh, we will. So talking about how you're already here, but We are now more aware and excited to be in the presence of Yebu here in the U.S. It makes me think of your more intentional campaigns because the Abbott Elementary is like, that was just a joyful, someone out there is wearing something that a lot of people can see. But you also, storytelling and framing your collections is a big part of how we even were attracted to Yebu. So we love to hear about one, like how you do that, but two, like how intentional it is in terms of shooting in Ghana and having it local talent team there all the way from people who appear in it to people who photograph and style it. Walk us through that. I love that question. Thank you for asking because it allows me to talk about so many of the fantastic people that we do work with creatively in Ghana outside of our employment base and our workshop. To answer the first question, 100% intentional. Shooting and producing all of our creative in Ghana is 100% intentional. That was always what I wanted for the business. We've had some feedback over the years of like, 
you know, oh, you should shoot like, you know, in other places and like on models who are of different skin colors and so we can see how it looks and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, we will shoot in Ghana and we will use the models that are available to us in Ghana and that's we're not going to change that for anything because there's such an incredible pool of people there and, and why would we not? And it shows the homage that we want to give to Ghana and to the the fact that that's where the business is from and resonates from and that we owe so much to that country. And so we shoot all of our campaigns in Ghana and we love to have a bit of fun with what we do. So we have shot in so many different locations on the beach at our favorite spots to go to drink beer, different bars, the marketplace, the factory, my house. <laughs> we try to find little interesting parts of Accra to shoot in so that we can keep it local and, and make it a bit easier. But there's so many beautiful vantage points there. And obviously the color of the shooting in Ghana has this incredible light and it makes the colors pop. It makes all of the greenery, the palm trees, the beaches and everything just look so beautiful, which they are. So very lucky to shoot there. And the main part of doing those campaigns is our team. And so we work with a photographer and art director called Joseph Abbey. He's basically been running our campaigns for the last, you know, four or five years, I think. And before that, we definitely worked with different photographers there. Francis Kokoroko is one photographer that we work with quite a bit. He's more of a photojournalist. He works a lot for Reuters and BBC and those kind of big businesses now. We've been so lucky to work with so many great creators who have a great eye for what we're trying to do and the visual identity we're trying to create for our customer base. And, you know, I think that's also been incredible considering that Abby, for example, like he doesn't necessarily know our customer base that well, yet he's able to just understand and communicate through our clothing and his ability to produce a beautiful image and work with our models exactly what the our global customer base love seeing and respond to. So it's really been incredible. So, you know, he's been shooting on iPhones for as long as I can remember. He has recently started using a different camera where but he's been able to produce such incredible images using iPhones to the extent that Apple actually reposted one of his images not that long ago to showcase him as a photographer, which was really cool. He also has a big hand in styling. So he does a lot of the styling along with our lead stylist, Tanani, and she is also incredible. And, you know, they have an, a very fun job of being able to go to the marketplace and literally just like pull the most insane things. And I'm like, that's not going to work. And then they put it on the model who's wearing a Yevu jumpsuit and it just looks incredible. So I think it's been really important to keep our campaign and our e-commerce in Ghana, we also have an e-commerce team that works separately to our campaign team because that's the point of the brand. Like that's creating jobs and opportunities as well for the people that we work with. And it's also giving an honest, true reflection of the place where we work. We want to appreciate culture, not appropriate it. And we think that it's really important to make sure that the, that imagery is produced there by Ghanaians through their vision. I played but a small role in those campaigns. I'm lucky enough to be in the country when they're shot because it's a lot of they are a lot of fun to work on. So I'm glad that you enjoy those images and I encourage you to sort of click through and try to look at our actual campaigns on our website because you get the full, you can see the full sort of breadth of like what each campaign is about and what it looks like. And then also it gives you the opportunity to explore some of the personal work of the people that are part of our creative team, which is really cool too. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> That's all I can really say. But yeah, I can't believe those are shot on an iPhone, first of all. <laughs> Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> I can't distinguish. Maybe I just don't have the eye, but I really do like that intention behind why you do that. And I think it, it does make its way to us. So that's great. I'm so glad. I'll share this podcast with our team and they'll be so stoked to hear it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the time today. And we can't wait to continue to watch you and the brand grow and continue to be your loyal customers. Thank you, Lola. Thank you, Frankie. All right. Now that we've heard from founder Anna Robertson coming to us as close as we could get to live from Australia, we want to introduce you to her co-owner of the Yebu Foundation, Felicia Asechiwa, or as we affectionately call her, Philly. As Anna touched on, the two met back in 2012 when Anna was working in Ghana and Philly was taking an apprenticeship course in sewing. As the co-owner and head of production, Philly runs Yavu's operations in Ghana, leading her team of 30. And in chatting with Philly, we get deep into the process, learn what work on the ground is like, and Philly's hope for the future of Yavu. Okay, let's meet Philly. Hi, Philly. We would love to hear what managing production looks like. Like, what are, to you, the things that you focus on and think about on a day-to-day and consider really important for someone managing production? And then also, how do you work with the team there? So how would you explain the different aspects of the team? You have seamstresses, you have the person who's sourcing the prints at the market. So how do you work with all of those people? Um, We first source of prints at the market. And some of the prints are also being ordered from a factory, like printers. And after uh, the delivery, all these prints have been sold by the operation team. And when they deliver it to the workshop, we wash all the prints and before we start the cutting. So the production, we have the cutting session. Those people are going to do the cutting on the garments. Sometimes we have the patterns there already. Sometimes we'll print a pattern or you do a pattern before. And after the cutting, the production we have, we are using line production. So one person is not sewing full garments. It's passing through its production line. After the production, after the sewing, you send it to the QC, which is quality control team. They should they will check the stitches, label whether it's face colored, whether the stitches is secure, whether the hem, the measurement to help, the lens is accurate, everything before we send it to ironing. And the ironing team also, they do the ironing alongside the sewing. They iron some things like color, band, some of the pockets, they iron before we sew. And after the production, the QC is done also, they do the final ironing. Then after the ironing, we put the tags in it, then we pack them and ship. So this is how the production goes. Philly, wow, that's a lot. You are so much the spirit of Yavu. Most of your designs are wax print, and we were wondering... What is the significance of wax print in Ghana and how does it differ from other prints like batik? The reason of using the wax print is that you can get the shade that you're looking for. You can get many colors as you want. You can get it blood like 12 years as you want it. So one, the years is large in print, in wax print. The shade or the color 
is equal as you print it. Three, you can get any colors, quantity of the colors. You can get any multi-colors you want. But when you talk, you come to batik. You can't go beyond four colors. And you can't dye 12 years batik. The maximum is four years because we didn't cut it in small. Uh, some parts will not be dyed. And also, when you get, because you are doing it four years, four years, it is difficult to get three or to get the same shade. Some will be deep, some will be light, some will be having the motif inside, some will be large, some will be small. And also, you not get it large. You not get the multicolors. Only the maximum of four colors. But for printing, you can get like red, yellow, green, brown, any color you want, you can get. And you can get it in a large yard that you prefer. So I think this is very, very important when you are using the wasp flint. It's very good in this way than the batik. And for most of our prints are having flower motifs. So when it happens like that, you see the clear motif or the clear images of the prints. Some of the designs, we can't do but they can get it. It's never. No one can do it. So the printing can give you the motif in the prints. Like real, you see the thing and feel that this is a live flower in the garment. Or you will see a garment and see what the motif is telling you can identify when it comes to batik unless the person who brought out who did the design or who brought out the design can sometimes tell you that this is what i'm doing because you can see that especially when you dye like two three colors you can see that first if you dye like yellow you put on orange you see that some of the orange are being transferred to the yellow that you have blocked and if you put like mauve on it you see that some of the mauve have also been transferred to the yellow and at the same time the orange that you broke. And if you are like black to it, you see that the whole thing is played everywhere. So the person who is in mind of have, doing that uh, batik, he or she is having the correct motive. It's not understandable to consumers or uh, anyone who is not there when you are designing. And you can get the outline of the motif in the garments. When it comes to printing, you get the outline, the shape, exact shape, exact outline of the motif. Thanks, Philly, for outlining the benefits of wax print and the way that it allows the flexibility that you need and the creativity that you need in your process. And to your point, the the flower motifs and the really intricate, detailed designs that have stories kind of woven into the fabric are really evident to us in such a big part of Yavu clothing. So it would be great too, for my understanding, Lola's understanding, everyone who's listening's understanding, to know what the difference is, or maybe they're all the same, between a print, a pattern, a fabric, and a design. When you talk about fabric, Fabric is material produced by weaving, knitting, fiber. Example of fabric is silk, wool, cotton, jeans, any, any material we use to sew is a fabric. Either printing, either 
batik, either jeans, either silk, either velvet, either lace, any material. It's a fabric. But when you talk about printing, printing is by using mechanical process to transfer motif or design to a plain fabric or a plain fabric. Plain fabric means fabric without design. It can be plain blue, plain white, plain any color without any dot or motif inside. So the printing transfers motifs or design on the plain fabric using mechanical process. So that's it. That's the printing of the fabric. Now let's come to design. Design is a drawing produced to show the look and function. It can be textile design or garment. So in a drawing, like you draw a garment yourself, not existing one, like you, you draw your own, you come out with your own garment. It's a design. You come out with your own motif and do your fabric or and do your own fabric or your in any method of printing or in any way and do your own fabric is a design. So design is drawing produced to show the look or function. So you can draw, you can come out with a nice drawing on your own garment, not existing garment. It means it's your design or your own motif used on the fabric is your design. But when it comes to pattern, pattern is repeating the creative design on a material. And the reason for doing pattern is especially when it comes to garment to repeat the same measurement or exact measurement. Like for example, you are cutting like a hundred medium in a particular garment. And you don't have a pattern. You are cutting it freehand. You are using measurement tape to cut it freehand. You cut first one. The second one, you see that it will be slightly different. Third one, you see that there will be differences in each of them. But if you have pattern, you just lay it out. You, put, you press your pattern on it. Then you cut all at a time. Or you cut medium from this fabric, cut medium from different fabric. You get a set measurement because you are using pattern. And when it comes to a textiles or fabric, if you didn't do pattern before doing your fabric motif, you realize that when the motif started, it started in small and gradually is coming to big, small, big. It will not be uniform, it will not be equal. So pattern is very, very important. Help you to repeat the same design or to repeat the same measurements of your garment. Thanks for that. It really shows how interwoven all of these terms are and how they build off one another. All of your prints are sourced in Ghana. Was this a decision you made at the very beginning? And what do your relationships with local wholesale vendors look like? Yes, uh, we saw, saw our prints in Ghana here because the factory is here and we want those uh, around us all those in Ghana here also benefit from us. At least when we buy from them, they can get some profits also from it. That's why we decide to buy, source all our prints in Ghana. And also for delivery to the workshop will also be easy for us. Yeah, that's why we started. And so for the beginning, we started sources the print by capturing pictures from vendors at the market. Then 
we later select the prints that we want to buy then we buy them from the vendors that's what we have been doing so the vendors are happy for us buying from them and um, though we don't get sometimes it's a challenge for us to get the mass to buy like 100 piece but we get them like two or three vendors we get it from them so now we selected a, a company in ghana here who are printing uh, printers so we started ordering from them the factory trades and we are buying from them and they are also happy for us being buying from them so the relationship with them is very great both the vendors in the market and the printers company it's cool to hear about your partnership with the vendors as well as the printers because it's mutually beneficial and it's kind of like a cycle the way that you all produce and, and feed into each other and you know for us as consumers Yevu's designs are a dream you know you fall in love with them the minute you see them so what visuals do you or members of your team look for when you source prints and where do the ideas for designs come from what stories do they tell and then eventually, how does your production process turn those designs into garments? Most of our prints, designs, we develop the idea through our founder, which is Anna Robertson. Um, he checked the motive. At first, we are buying some of the prints with motive, which is understandable. Some is having like fan motive, others is having prawns, horse. Uh, some also is having name and we used to try the market and see some is having flower roses and other things so we realized that the consumers or the customers they need more flower prints they choose some of the motif that is their favorite so now we decide to focus on the print which is moving for our production. Some of our popular prints are prawns, monochrome, uh, uh, roses, and we have that print, which is our popular print. So, and sometimes too, we look for colors. It's also, that idea also come out with Anna by maybe this range was, we will choose more uh, pink prints, maybe some range also, we select more orange print, some range, we select more white. So all ideas being coming by. Sometimes through all that, we used to try the market and knows the consumer's wishes or the customer's desire. Then we'll go ahead and do it. So how we turn it to garment is, sometimes we check the motif. As we are cutting, we follow the motif in the print before turning it to garments. Some of the motif, we have to put it horizontally, others vertical, others in diagonal form, based on the motif we are having. So that all this, to turn the design on the print to a garment, that one is the work of I and Anna being doing that work. So this is how we turn our designs in the print also to garment by considering the motif in the print and considering also the layouts, the pattern layouts. Appreciate the detail in this. And it makes me wonder, there's so much thought and planning that goes into the creation of each piece. Could you share a little bit about the ways in which you've evolved your operations and team as your business has scaled? 
Okay, what I do is, if a new style comes, I pass the workers through a training to know how we go about the design, the new design, or the piece which have come out. And uh, through the training, to know how we go about it, the sewing, how we check it, how we fold it, and pack everything. And also, for the team or for the workers, we I decide or I have... Another plan being passed them through. I sometimes change some people from the production room to the QC. I change some people from the production to cutting. Some people from production to ironing. Based on how you work, based on how careful you are. For example, like the cutting session, I normally keep those who work with us for long day because that place needs much attention and um, it needs someone who concentrates. So this is how I manage the team with the piece, by taking them through training, by steady each worker and know where he can perform well. So even as you grow, you still take a pretty hands-on approach and it shows. Thanks, Philly. So we'd love to just wrap up with understanding what you are most looking forward to in Yavu's future. In the future, we are planning to have a big company, which we can employ a lot of workers, both men and women, create job opportunities. Like we get like 500 workers. And we also want to bring more contracts from different brands, different companies, uh, different schools to it. Because at this time, we are only sewing for Yerov. But now we decide to we open our doors for other clothing brands. So we have one client now, Osedro. They have been sewing from us, and we send a lot of proposal. We want to also open a WhatsApp marketing, and we also want to open a separate website and make sales also in Ghana. So this in future, what we are planning for. All our incomes come from Australia sales, our utility, our rent, our wages. All the expenses, it comes from the sales we make from the online Australia. So now, in future, what we have planned is to bring in other incomes so that it can hold brief and it can take some burdens from the Australia income. Being a helping hand to the Australia income, that's sewing for other clothing brands, schools, hospitals, institutions, and so on. Aiming to make the business big, having over 500 employed, over 500 workers, creating job opportunities for others. So this is what we are aiming for. Okay, okay. The invitation has been made. Anna said it. Philly said it. Yevu Foundation is ready to work with all you brands out there that want to collaborate and partner. So hit them up. I would DM them on Instagram. Their handle is Yevu Clothing, Y-E-V-U-C-L-O-T-H-I-N-G. And make it happen. Tell us about it. Can't wait to see that all the things everybody comes up with and makes and brings into the world together. So let's do this. Thank you, Philly. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Philly. Thank you, Anna. Appreciate the time. Bye.
Okay, next episode, we interview the last brand, Fatra, under our theme of materials and of the entire season in general. Is Fatra a brand, a movement, a mindset? Fatra's founder, Akila, to me, is a goddess that spans space, time, and textiles. And we're ready for you to meet her and decide for yourself. See you next time.